Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 101, Northern Europe, 1000 to 500 BC. I'm so excited for this episode. I accidentally ran into one of the leading archaeologists of the era. So here we have a real scientist talking about this era. I am from Sweden. I have grown up in this area. And there were so many things in this episode I had never heard about. I hope you can share my excitement. We recorded this during the pandemic over Skype. But the content is incredible. The end of an era. The Bronze Age collapse in in the Nordic countries. I... I had no idea about these things, and I hope you will be as fascinated as I was. Okay, I won't talk anymore. Let's do this. Welcome to Fan of History. I am Dan, a fan of history, and with me is another fan of history. Radar! Hi, Radar! Hi, Don. Did I pronounce your name correctly, for in, or did I Englify it? Uh, no, I guess Radar is okay. <laughs> uh, you are more than a fan of history, right? Can you tell the listeners? Mm. Um, yes, I'm an archaeologist, so kind of historian. <laughs> yes, the only kind of historian that works for our subject today, Northern Europe during the period 1000 to... 600 BC? Maybe we'll mention 500 BC as well? Uh, possibly. Well, let's see. I, I've talked so little about Northern Europe because there are no written sources. I mentioned the Amber Road in one episode, but that's about it, I think. Uh, yes, and uh, that is, uh, well, rather hard to know that much about. So, uh, 
but uh, the, the lack of uh, written sources is a major problem. I understand that if you deal with like history. Should we tell the the viewer, the listeners, how we got this idea? Uh, well, we met at a birthday party. Yes, and we started talking uh, ancient history, and then I discovered that you knew a lot about this period. Um, yes, actually, it's my specialty, but uh, for let's say East Central Sweden mostly. But well, it um, expands. Yeah, I'll have to. Uh, ex- uh, now, you listeners got two Americans talking good English in the History in the Bible episode, but now you get two Swedes talking Swinglish instead, but you're used to that at this point. So, yes, Northern Europe. Ah, uh, yes. Um, so maybe I should uh, begin. Please do. Archaeology. Uh, well, as there is no written sources that reliably describe any part of Northern Europe before the Roman expansions, the material for this um, episode of the podcast is entirely based on archaeology finds and research. History in the meaning of written sources is available in Scandinavia from around 1000 AD, in other parts of Northern Europe maybe a few hundred years earlier. Archaeology is a social science that uses scientific methods for dating, provenance analysis, sample analysis, etc. A lot of information can be determined from human bones, and DNA techniques gives even more opportunities that presently are too costly to be used in any larger scale. I, I just discovered neogenesis and the, the DNA techniques. I'll talk about that in another episode, but there's so much new information there. I was really surprised. When the earliest mention of... Scandinavia at all is from, I, th- I looked this up right before the show, is from 25 AD, I think. Ah, yes, the Tacitus, I think. I, I think there's an earlier Polybius, perhaps. Oh, yes, possibly, but that's very, it's not entirely sure that it's actually Scandinavia he mentioned. <laughs> yeah, the Carison thing, so that's why I thought mm. so too. But that's, that's so late compared to the rest of the world. It's like we have these, um, all these sources for the Middle East and then nothing for, for our corner of the world. Um, yes, but um, in a way, uh, most parts of the world have no written language at this time. So, Very, very uh, true. Okay, please go on. Well, um, the finds from settlement sites from this area are covered at post holes from the longhouses and some hearts and storage pits together with some pottery bones and occasional iron tools. Uh, graves from these periods are for the most part rather discreet and seldom contain skifts. Key to understand this period is likely um, to understand the more special sites of the period, the bronze deposits the heaps of fire-cracked stones and uh, vocational cult sites. Do we know what these houses, the longhouses, looked like? Are they like Viking longhouses? Uh, very similar. It's a um, several thousand year long period. You have used about the same. The um, structure of the roof foundation is a little bit different, but from um, Neolithic until uh, like end of Viking Age is the, basically the same, the longhouses. Wow, so 
one extended family living in the same house together with a couple of animals. Uh, yes, but uh, the animals come rather late, and uh, this with the extended family, uh, contra core family, is uh, uh, differs over time. Okay. Yes, and um, this period is uh, like the end of the Bronze Age in this part of the world. During this period, um, this part of the world uh, mostly transit between the Bronze Age and the Iron Age. Traditionally, the break between Bronze Age and the Iron Age takes place around 500 BC in the Nordic Bronze Age culture, but uh, iron have replaced bronze for cutting ages around uh, 800 BC. In fact, that uh, even one of the pioneers in early Swedish archaeology, Oscar Montelius, confirms that. In Britain and rest of Northern and Central Europe, for example, Hallstatt culture in Austria, the transit takes place around the same time. Ironworking had been known in these regions for several hundred years at that point. For example, the oldest evidence of ironworking in present-day Sweden are from around 1100 BC. Worth mentioning is that the oldest evidence for bronzeworking from the same region is just a few hundred years older. But that's so early! I'm quite surprised. So, ironworking just spread over Europe very quickly. Yes, but um, it's maybe not that strange that we have rather little evidence for it because iron is more fragile over time than bronze. So bronze is preserves better. Ah, I see. And um, this change in metalworking does correlate with the shift in the society of the time, but it's most likely not the cause of the change. And the introduction of iron does not diminish the use of bronze in most cases. It's relevant to question whether, whether the transit from bronze to iron had any greater significance at all in a larger scale. And that goes for the rest of the world as well, if you're not the Hettites, right? Possibly, and I don't think that the major advantage for the Hettites were, were the iron, actually. Rather the organization. and Yes. Yeah. But it's such a good story that they were the only ones with iron. Ah, uh, yes, um, and the stories are important too. <laughs> That's true. Yes, uh, I think I should talk a little bit about settlement patterns. Please do. The society of the time have a strong maritime focus. All settlements were situated in the vicinity of waterways, but uh, often not directly by the shores. Uh, settlements were almost exclusively single household farms, with a few exceptions that are more of hamlets. One example of that is Apalle outside today's Bolsta in Sweden. That is the largest excavated settlement from this period in Scandinavia. The Lake Mälaren region was during this period a large archipelago that made it attractive for settlements, so the placement of Apalle settlement is not that odd as it first may seem. The Lake Mälaren region was the northernmost part of the Baltic area that had a large population. In the southernmost part of Scandinavia, there are more excavated examples of these hamlets, Fusi and Scania, Spalg and Bjerg in Denmark, and uh, there are some more known examples. And you were basically forced to travel by water at this point, right? There were very few roads, there were a lot of forest everywhere, you couldn't get anywhere except by water. Uh, yes, so the water was the key. And you don't want to live directly by the shore because then people will find you, or...? 
Uh, uh, yes, likely so. Uh, if you think that people lived in like single farms, uh, you were rather um, exposed for like raiders. Yeah, and there were like raiding going on. Li- likely so. There, there, we will talk more about that later. Yeah, I feel like these people are like proto-Vikings. Uh, yes, um, that actually the the Viking Age was like the, the decline of something that had gone on for several thousand years. All right. Well, in some cases, these settlements could be situated on waterfront hilltops that later would house migration period hill forts. In some of those settlements were also fortified during this discussed period. Example, an example is Asve in present-day Estonia. Wow, so fortifications already. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. And um, there are some more examples also here in Sweden. So. Wow. Well, population density of maybe five persons per square kilometers have been suggested for North and Central Europe. And uh, that could probably be true for present-day Denmark and Scania, but further north in Scandinavia, the density of the population is slightly smaller. But even if these numbers seem small, the human impact of the landscape is extensive. Already in the late Bronze Age, which we now talk about, almost the entire of present-day Denmark was slightly deforested. Well, we knew how to destroy the environment already. Ah, yes. In the entire northern Europe, the dominant form of housing is the three-ailed longhouses that we talked about a little bit already. And the normal house covered an area of maybe 70 to 200 square meters. Earlier in the Bronze Age, houses were often significantly larger, but that changed around the beginning of this discussed period, 1000 BC. Presumably due to a shift in the family structure from households consisting of large extended families to households consisting of what we today call core families. And the smaller families are the norm during the entire period we now discuss. That's an interesting development that you you would think that settlements would grow larger over time, but here we have the exact opposite. Uh, Yes, it could be that um, it's easier to access larger portions of land or something. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what about religion? Yes. Prehistoric societies are more often than not genuinely religious. There is no way to distinguish what is religion and what is not. Everything is integrated. Almost nothing is in fact known of the North European religion of this time. But likely it was a polytheistic religion, possibly introduced already by the Indo-Europeans around 2500 BC. The few clues to the religion of the time are the burial customs, the bronze deposits and the rock art. And these we will discuss a little bit later. How, how close is that? Do we know what the Indo-Europeans used, to, what their religion was like in 2500 BC? Uh, we have the Veda scripts from, and it's like early Hinduism. Yeah, but they're, they're, that is much later, right? Than, well, we assume that that is be, uh, sort of basic Indo-European religion. Well, it's actually not that much later, so it's, uh, okay. it's uh, very early writings. Oh. Mm. Well, um, it's all relative, um, like 700 years. Yeah. Well, in many cases, the most obvious sign of religion we find in archaeology are the burials. And obviously that gives a very biased view on how the religion looked like. Burial customs are, however, an important part of most religion as it's a mere rite of passage. In that way you could tell with relatively good certainty that this area had the same religion during this time. The burial custom in Northern Europe during 1000 to 600 BC shows strong influence from that Indo-European impact. And could be seen close to the ones used in present-day Hinduism, according to some scientists anyway. Uh, the dead body is divided into the four elements, fire and air through the cremation, earth through a partial burial of the bones, and water as some of the bones are deposited in the body of water. The last part is the hardest to prove with archaeology. In the burials from this period you never find all the bones from a cremation, as it's just a portion of that buried. Yeah, so even if uh, the water level has uh, low, been lowered by the passage of time, the, the, the bones in the water are still scattered. Uh, yes, and uh, probably the water will um, dissolve the bones oh. over time. All right. The bronze deposits in wetlands during the turn of an era that we will talk about later uh, seems to be divine offerings. But it could also be interpreted as hidden treasures during troubled times. It's hard to tell. Yeah. Finally, it's rather likely that parts of or all of the stories or messages that the rock art depicts are often what we would consider a religious nature. Stories about why the sun crossed the sky, what happened when you die and where we all came from. The aesthetic motive of these rock arts indicate that these stories were the same over at least the entire southern Scandinavia for a period of more than 500 years. Wow, you really don't think about rock art when you discuss this period. That seems like something that would be much earlier. Ah, uh, yes. The rock art is uh, mostly earlier period, but it still exists, but it's on decline. 
we will discuss that a little bit further later. Great. And uh, now to one of my specialities, the economy of the time. Ooh. As uh, previously mentioned, the society consists of single household farms. Pastoralism is the major part of the economy, both by growing crops and gathering. During this period, farms developed towards a more sedentary use of the landscape, with the cultivated fields and permanent pastures. The animal holds are cattle, goats or sheep and pigs. The major crop is barley. Surprisingly few evidence for hunting are found in the archaeological records. Fishing seems to have been a surprisingly small part of the economy during this period as uh, the society had such a strong maritime focus. Analysis of human bones can determine if an individual had a large part of fish in the diet and few analyzed individuals from this period eat fish at all, even if they lived on islands. The staple food for the large part, largest part of the population was likely barley porridge. Wow, that is so surprising. Yes. Because the, the, the waters must have been teeming with fish. There's still so much fish in the Scandinavian waters. Uh, yes, but um, maybe it felt a little bit inaccessible. I don't know. Maybe it was something religious. Uh, yes, um, when you, it, it could possibly be. But you mean, and, and no, not uh, not so much hunting either. The the moose must have been happy as well. Ah uh, yes, um, and that that could also be a false interpretation, as you don't find any moose bones. But it could also be that the moose are hunted in the forest, and uh, you um, process the meat in the forest. I see. So it's not certain that that is the correct interpretation of the bone materials. And this must be uh, a very common situation in archaeology. You have to interpret correctly as well and sort of not not uh, give in to tunnel vision and, oh, these things confirm my hypothesis, therefore they are true. Ah, uh, yes. So uh, the best thing you could have is uh, no hypo- hypothesis at all. Yeah. In some way or another, some forms of goods must be traded for the tin and copper, as all raw materials for the bronze working are imported. Amber and fur have been suggested. However, there are several problems with those suggestions. Amber is really not found in abundance in Baltic, except for on the shores of the present-day Latvia and Lithuania. And that region have far less finds of bronzes from this period than, for example, Denmark. The possibility is, is that the gathering of the Baltic amber was controlled by people from the region with the most bronzes found, in other words, Denmark. Or that another closer amber source have run out. Uh, Denmark have several places where you know could find occasional amber finds after a day of hard wind. Ooh. So... It's not that easy to just say it was amber. Interesting. Is there any? Are there any other hypotheses for except amber and fur? Well, p- probably. Uh, I would uh, pro- possibly slaves. Oh, I was thinking of slaves. But um, it's uh, possibly you can have um, more. Um, when you can analyze bones in a larger scale, you could maybe find evidence for such things. Ah. Yes. Baltic amber was found among the treasures in the tomb of Totankhamon from 1323 BC. 
the other suggestion, fur is somewhat more plausible though. The reason for a few or none bones from wild animals are found on the settlements dated to this period could simply be that I mentioned previously that uh, you process the animals in the forest so in that way no waste of bone material comes to the settlements then we can maybe should discuss what is mostly uh, associated with the bronze age yes well, bronze is not easy to make you need ingredients yes so bronze casting then as we mentioned bronze casting earlier, we should maybe cover it a little bit further. Yes. yes, and the bronze casting have been taking place in Northern Europe from around 2000 BC, but it's not until 700 years later in 1300 BC that uh, bronze casting becomes more common. And from that time bronze casting continue roughly for around thousand years until it decreased but never vanished in the pre-Roman Iron Age. As mentioned, all raw materials are imported. The copper comes mainly from Mediterranean, it's Sardinia, Southern Iberia, Cyprus and Southern Tyrol. The provenance of the copper is possible to determine but late isotope analysis. The sources of the tin is less studied, but uh, strong indications show that most come from Cornwall. The Bronze Age collapse around 1200 BC seems, seems to not have affected this trade in any major way. A likely important trading port for these metals during the here discussed period is the island Tanit in the outlet of Thames, England. Uh, the origin of the metal was of maybe not that much importance as it likely traveled through several middlemen. It's still so fascinating that the, these, there are, these are very remote parts of Europe if you are in Scandinavia. And the stuff still makes its way to Scandinavia. Yes. And um, it's um, rather surprisingly common also at especially in the like Lake Mälaren region, like Stockholm area. Yeah. Uh, evidence of bronze casting are found on 30 to 40% of the examined settlements from this period. <laughs> wow. Mm. Bronze casting tradition seems to continue to develop and thrive through this period, it's especially in present-day Denmark. The bronze casting tradition there reach unparalleled levels. You could not find this level of bronze casting anywhere else in the world. Wow! And uh, that with all imported raw materials. How, why? How were they so good at bronze casting? Well, maybe... Oh, well, that's a subject to itself. But maybe the <laughs> periphery is a, a good thing in this, matter, in this way. Yeah. How do, how do you tell the differences between good uh, and very good bronze casting? I would say uh, it's mostly due to the technical skill required. All right. Mm. Well, and now to what you mentioned earlier that you did not really think about when talking about this period, the rock art. Yeah, it's sort of sad to think about that we were still doing rock art while uh, the Assyrians were building an empire. Mm. But anyway, it's an art, so it's a good thing, maybe. 
Uh, but uh, the um, practice is only uh, it's uh, declined during this period. It boots in number of carving and the artistic level. As there are several carvings that naturally depicting objects that are actually found in the archaeological material as swords, axes, hooks, hiding goods of copper, etc. You can assume that it can be depict other objects that actually existed as well, in that way uh, helping the archaeology. For example, the boats. That is a very common motive, the most common motive, I would say. No larger boats than tree trunks canoes have been found from the North European Bronze Age, but uh, from the pre-Roman Iron Age there is a boat found in present-day Denmark that is very similar to the boats of the rock art. Jordsbring's boat, that is called, was constructed of skin on a frame of tree. It was 19 meters long and could carry a crew of 24 with gear. Presumably, it was a military vessel based on the finds made with the boat. So it's like a giant canoe, Viking ship? Ah, uh, yes. But uh, probably not that seaworthy as the Viking boats. Okay, so you wouldn't go to like uh, Brit- Britain with it? Mm, possibly if you stick to the coastal. Would uh, uh, larger boats survive for 3,000 years in Scandinavia? Uh, Probably not, so um, this is uh, like an exception. How old is Jordsbring's boat then? Uh, it's from uh, 350 BC approximately. Wow, 19 meters, that's a big ship. Uh, yes. So, and 24 men, it's a rather large military group, group of mi- military. Yeah. Uh, during this period, I would say. I would agree. Some... Some things that are rather interesting with the rock art in Scandinavia uh, is that it's similar to rock art in the areas where the copper come from, like southern Iberia and Poo Valley in Italy. Mm-hmm. So um, you can in that way also see a connection. And uh, something that is very fascinating about the rock art that actually we don't know if it had to do with this period at all is the peculiar carvings in Slebro, Nyköping in eastern Sweden that have uh, no resemblance elsewhere in Scandinavia, but uh, possibly it's have uh, its counterpart in Santa Monica in Poo Valley. Uh, it could maybe be a kind of a map or a depiction of houses and farmlands or something, but we don't know the datings of these carvings. How do you date rock art? Mostly you can like exclude then they should have been underwater oh. uh, and um, but uh, in, the, in the other direction I actually not sure <laughs> there is a, a, an important thing to know about Scandinavia uh, as different to the Middle East that we, we have a big uh, land rise from the ice age so all, uh, yes. the, all the ground that was uh, pressed down by three kilometers of ice is rising still i think uh, yes. it's several centimeters per year still ah uh, yes so it's um oh no that can be i don't know how big it is it's, it's still happening yes i think it's uh, seven millimeter a year wow Okay, so uh, Stockholm, for example, is is a very new place because it was all covered by water just a couple of thousand years back. Yes, 
So in that way you can rule out periods when something should have been underwater. So in that way you can date it. So you, you can't like uh, date the paint or something? Because it's just carvings and you don't have paint. Uh, uh, yes, it's, uh, um, it's just carvings and actually it's more like uh, they, they knock in. Yeah. Um, it's not, not that they carve actually, it's more like they pounce. Ah. I can't uh, let go of the fact that uh, the rock art is similar to Southern Iberia and the Po Valley. That's like that's not something that comes with if you have a lot of middlemen transferring the the copper and the tin. But this cultural influence seems like people are actually moving. Yes, it it could be. And this trade was not disturbed at all by the Bronze Age collapse. Uh, no, not in a way that you can see in the material anyway. Interesting. Well, uh, now we should uh, come to discuss something that is, uh, you have had uh, rather much about earlier in the narrative. <laughs> uh, violence. Yes, I bet uh, there is violence in Scandinavia as well. Ah, uh, yes. Yes, it seems like uh, violence is an um, inherent part of human life. The difference is that they did not preserve their boosting in uh, uh, on stone like the Assyrians. Well, possibly they could have in the rock art. Oh, um, some of the scenes uh, seems to be could be something like that. <laughs> Amazing. Mm. Well, so there is uh, evidence of this in the uh, northern part of Europe as well. And uh, now we will go back a little bit before the here discussed period. We go back to the Bronze Age collapse, actually. Okay. Uh, in Tollensee, in northern Germany, a major battle took place around the year of the Bronze Age collapse in the, like, 1200 BC. It seems that whatever happened also affected this part of Europe during the Bronze Age collapse. It's a uh, rather well examined um, in Tollens in Northern Europe a major battle, battle took place around the year of the Bronze Age collapse around 1200 BC the battle seems to have stood between professional soldiers with good and well used equipment and healed old battle wounds that you can see on the bones the total amounts of fighters were around 4000 to 5000 Several hundred of them were left dead on the battlefield around the, what at that time was a swampy river crossing. So far the genetic examination of the origin of the combatants are conclusive, but the size of the group shows that there must have been some kind of power to piece together such a large forces. Likely some kind of chieftain or small kings. This is an amazing mystery. Like, who were these guys? And I... I talked about battles after when the world returns in the Iron Age in the Mediterranean, but four to five thousand fighters that's a lot even for yes. for the Bronze Age right in in the in the Middle East I would say so I remember the first um, issue of uh, Cambridge Ancient History has pre Bronze Age collapse stuff and that's like they're still fighting in Palestine, of course, but the armies are like a hundred guys on one side, except for the Battle of uh, Kadesh. Mm. Oh, please go on. 
Ah, uh, yes. Well, nothing is known of the political structure of the time, but uh, some kind of ruler must have ex- existed. And the power was um, likely individually based and rested solely on one person's ambition and connection. An example is the rich burial in Håga outside Uppsala in uh, Lake Bellarm region in Sweden. It's dated to around 1000 BC, but uh, there is no equal finds in wells in a grave in, for the entire Scandinavian Bronze Age. But in, but in Håga there is just that one mound. So the power was likely either short-lived or there were no need to display power for further generation as that one mound was all it took to show the might of the ancestors. Even if the mound hold a bronze sword, this was one of about 10 found in Mälaren region of Sweden from the entire Bronze Age. Uh, that showed that this typically military weapon as a sword is was not at all common here, especially if you compare to the thousands of bronze swords from the same period found in uh, present-day Denmark. However, a common tool as a bronze socket axe works well as a weapon if you don't have a sword available. Uh, the finds of a murdered man in a bog from around 800 BC confirms that. This extensively researched man was killed with several hits of a socket axe. He is called Granhammarsmannen and he was from eastern Scania but uh, died in Mälaren archipelago, east central Sweden. He was around 50 when he was murdered and he had made a living out of leatherworking which could be determined as he brought his tool with him when he sank to the bottom. This seems like a subject for one of my murder podcasts. An unsolved murder. It's a pretty cold case at this point. Ah, uh, yes. Um, probably one of the coldest. <laughs> what about uh, spears? Uh, yes, there are a few spear shots, but they are rather uncommon also. But the uh, socketed axes are, well, not common, but uh, you, you find them here in Scandinavia. But it seems to have been more fighting further south you get. Okay. Do they have shields? Uh, yes, there have been found uh, bronze shields in uh, western Sweden. There was a large collection of them. I don't remember the number, but there, there are found bronze shields in Sweden too, but not that common. What about uh, bow and arrow? Probably rather common, I would say, but um, yeah. not. Um, they are rather poorly preserved mostly, and the arrow tips are so small. Oh, okay. But uh, in uh, northern, uh, now we're probably losing the subject here, but uh, from uh, Neolithics uh, you have um, the oldest find uh, of a uh, composite uh, longbow in uh, the world. Wow. In uh, northern uh, Uppland. How old? It's ooh, like 5,000 years or something. Amazing. I'm thinking that swords were not that common in actual fighting in the Mediterranean either or in the Middle East. It seems like the Assyrians just used them for executions and most of the fighting is done uh, f- by spears or arrows. Ah, uh, yes. I assume that uh, actually the most effective military weapon is uh, bow and arrow. How, how durable is a bronze sword? Can you, like, fight like a knight or a viking with a bronze sword? Or does it break? I think they 
need some kind of um, experimental archaeology there. All right. And I, I'm not sure if it's tested. Okay. But I, I'm, I, pres- I assume that they are like, actually an iron sword is rather fragile also. You have to unbend it often. Okay. So it's, uh, I, I'm not sure actually. So maybe swords were just uh, poor in real battle at this point. Ah, uh, yes. Um, but your axe was trusty and you knew how to use it. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, probably lighter too. Ah. So you can attack faster. This next part is my favorite. I had no idea about this. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, this is, well, a little bit um, less known also, I would say. And uh, I will call it the turn of an era, actually. Uh, around 800 to 750 BC, something major happened in Northern Europe. There is a slight change in the climate toward a colder, wetter climate. But that was likely the, not the major reason. This colder and wetter climate was still warmer than we see today. So no big deal, I would say. But whatever happened, it took two generations. Either the population decreased significantly or they changed the way they lived. So it left less traces in the records. As traces of human uh, decrease in the entire northern Europe. From Sweden we can see that from the results of the carbon dating of archaeological finds. The number of datings to 750 BC are and following years for centuries are half as many as for 800 BC. The same level as 800 BC is not reached up, up until 400 BC in most region. So maybe it, I was. It takes 400 years to recover from this, whatever it was. Uh, yes. It sounds like the Bronze Age collapse. Uh, yes, but the 400 years later. But it could also be that they changed the way of life rather drastically, and we could not find what they were doing. It's also a possibility. Interesting. Yes. Further, we can also see a discontinuing of the settlements that have been set inhabited for centuries. For example, the previously mentioned Apale. One thing that they do increase here is the amount of deposits of bronzes and other precious metals in wetlands. Likely some kind of offerings maybe. And as mentioned previously also around this time iron become more common. There is still research needed to determine why this shift occur and if it actually occur. It could also be a shift in lifestyle. But my personal suggestion would be that it's some kind of famine or plague. But it must be a terrible event that did not affect the Mediterranean world, as far as we know. Because this is the age of recovery for the Mediterranean and the Middle East, right? Um, yes. So it's something that is different here. So either everyone turned into living in harmony with the forest, except for making iron, or they were hit by a huge disaster or... Well, we don't have any traces of a of a war or destruction. The, the settlements are just abandoned. Uh, yes, uh, s- several settlements are abandoned. It's rather few that actually have a continuation over this uh, 800 BC. Oh, that, that is a great mystery. 
the turn of an era, the Nordic Bronze Age collapse. Ah, well, you can see it that way also, but uh, we we should not um, over-dramatize it. How did I not know about this? Okay, sorry for over-dramatizing it. <laughs> mm. Wow. Um, well, uh, how much did you actually know about Swedish Bronze Age before this? At all. Very little. I think I actually know more about the sort of arrival of the Indo-Europeans and stuff that happened before this. And, of course, the Viking Age. But Yes, so it's not maybe that strange that this is not nothing most people have not heard about. I'm so happy it just happened to be the era we covered in Final History so we could do this. Ah, well, uh, I'm happy to provide. Well, as you can see, um, this part of Europe is a rather sparsely populated periphery. But... Um, it not necessarily make it much less developed. The reason we know much more about Middle East, I would say, is the written sources and um, the much more numerous constructions of stones and bricks. Yeah, and I think the, the Nordic climate is very unforgiving to a lot of things. That it, It's good if you can put big stone monuments in the dry desert where they just stand around for th- thousands of years. Yes. But here you would likely prefer to build in tree that keep the heat better. Yeah, and we have so much uh, wood here, so turning to stone is not necessary. Oh. I'm so interested in, in this this world that seems so unknown to us still. Yes, it's a rather interesting to work with, as it's as you say. We have brought a few pieces of the puzzle, but um, maybe you can find some more pieces and um, maybe build something off it. But um, still, Bronze Age is rather unknown to us. How uh, much work is being done on this these times? Uh, well, um, in last years, there have been some uh, doctoral theses around um, Bronze Age, but... Um, uh, have not maybe suited my taste that much, but uh, mm-hmm. um, actually last year or the year before that, there were a really good one regarding this with the bronze working. That one I liked rather much. Yeah. Anna Sörman. Anna Sörman. Yes. Uh, so it's um, there is this new research that is really good also. Are there any information in English that we could share with the listeners about this? Like any useful links or something we can put in the show notes? Uh, not that I could think about now. Uh, unfortunately, most of the research is written in Swedish. Of course. Or Norwegian or Danish, I presume. Yes. Um, and um, that the Danish doesn't help me much either. <laughs> so... Um, so, but and I, I see the problem with it. But um, I feel myself that I have written only one article ever in English. So I feel that it's so much more work than in written in Swedish. Oh, maybe I should uh, I should offer my services for the Swedish archaeologist. So now, Fan of History is one of the better sources in English for the Nordic Bronze Age. Um, hopefully not <laughs> hopefully not good good answer anything else you would like to tell the listeners well I um, 
I guess I will come up with that when I go to bed tonight. <laughs> Probably. But, uh, that would be too late. I am so happy we got to do this. This is like what, what I wanted for five years to hear about the Nordic for this age. Mm-hmm. You delivered very well. I'm happy to do that. There is, could be, there is of course more, but I think I made a brief summary that could fit the time frame rather well. Yeah, this is an introduction to the Nordic area. And if you want to hear more about it, tell me so I can uh, try to beg Radar to come back. Thank you very much, Radar. Thank you, Don, to having me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.